Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Hey, marketers, welcome to The Marketer's Journey. And today we have a very different guest than I've had uh, more recently on the podcast. I think a lot of the marketers I've gotten to speak to have gone to the senior level of VP or CMO by you know years in the trenches, lots of loyalty in a company where they work their way up. But you know, our guest today will own the fact that he has gone there by job hopping. And he describes that as you know putting in hard work, winning the team over, and getting to the point where he is presented with another opportunity are poached. And you know, now James Winter is the VP of marketing of a company called Brandfolder, which is pretty cool because this is his first VP role, but this is a company that's doing really well in the digital asset management space. They've grown tremendously over the last year and a bit alone, as he told me. And I, I can't tell you the revenue numbers, but it's nothing, you know, it, it, they are not true startup anymore. These guys are into scale mode and it's it's pretty impressive. But if, if you look back, I mean, he, he really started his marketing career in 2012. So in the seven years, he's been at numerous companies. He told me his average tenure at a company is about two years. And at that point, his mindset is he's better off to surround himself with new people he can learn from, new experiences, a bigger community. So this is debatable. And and I'll be honest, I, I find a lot of times on this podcast, I'm just sitting there like, yeah, that makes sense. That's, you know, way to go in terms of getting to where you did. And and this is one where I don't, it's not that I don't agree with his approach. It's just, it's not the one that I always, you know, can look at when I'm interviewing someone and say, okay, I want to buy into this person who continues to job hop, who, you know, doesn't stay put for more than a couple of years in a place, you know, and you naturally wonder on the surface when you meet those people, okay, well, you know, what's wrong? Could they not be patient? Were they not adding value? But I I think James is, first off, a bit of an exception to that. He's clearly a driven individual who's got, you know, big aspirations and a great vision. And that's what makes this a very unique conversation today. So I I think you'll enjoy it. The the other interesting part that we, we get to a little bit more in the second half is that the majority of his path has been in product marketing, which these days is is a little bit more rare. I'm finding more VPs, more CMOs, at least in B2B, have, have gone more through, you know, perhaps a demand generation path. But interesting to see the perspective of, you know, going from the product marketing side and how that allowed him to be into this leadership position. So without further ado, I teased it out a little, but here we go. The job hopper, James Winter. Hey, James, thank you so much for taking time from a high growth startup being brand folder to talk to us about how you got into that role. This is your first VP of marketing role. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about brand folder, what you do there first, how you got that gig and how big the team is. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Been a big fan of Uberflip for a long time, so happy to be here. I joined Brandfolder about a year ago as the VP of marketing, and I joined because I was super excited about the space that we're in. Digital asset management, which is the category that we technically reside in, I think is a bit misleading as the name goes because it's it sounds a little bit boring, but... <laughs> Brands have so much more content than they've ever had before, as you guys obviously know at Uberflip. And 
just like there's all these challenges with publishing that content and getting it read and read by the right people and in a great experience, there's a whole bunch of stuff that companies need help with on the back end as far as the logistics of creating that content, managing it and organizing it in a way that people can actually find what they're looking for. And I wish I could take credit for this, but I think the easiest way to describe a big part of our value proposition is that we're almost like a Google image search for any of your company's digital assets. So anything from like photos to 3D files to 4K video, brands really have a hard time managing that content, distributing it to get to the right people and understanding how it's performing. And that's where Brandfolder comes in. Sweet. And and the size of the team there that you're overseeing today or how has it grown in the last year? Yeah, it, it has definitely grown. I joined and there was basically no marketing team a year ago. There had been a couple of people in different roles. Like there's been a great content person in the past. Shout out to Meg Prater, who's not HubSpot. There's been a few other people who maybe did paid marketing or community for, for a small portion of time, but there wasn't ever a marketing leader who had built out a full kind of best practice B2B SaaS high ACV marketing growth team. And so I was poached uh, for my last role by Headhunter. So I was familiar with the space, but when they reached out, I was super excited because I knew this was such an important challenge for brands. And so I've built the team from zero up to, uh, I think it's eight right now, and I've got three open recs. Wow. Okay. That's fast growth. And you know, it's interesting. I, I, I want to hit today over the next, you know, five or 10 minutes of, of this first part of the podcast on, on two areas, you know, number one, I mean, this is your first VP of marketing role. So that's a big jump and, you know, big risk. Uh, you know, I don't know if we'll get into the details of the growth in terms of dollars there, but it's, it's pretty amazing. At, you know, the type of growth more than doubled the revenue and, the, and we're not talking small dollars for our listeners, but number one, in terms of, you know, how you decided that this is that right fit and it's the right opportunity to take that path. And, you know, you've jumped around a bit, if you don't mind me saying so. So I want to, I want to talk about that path first. And then, you know, to keep people on the, on the edge of their seat, that the interesting thing I think about your path is very heavy focus in product marketing, which, uh, you know, definitely means you understand the products that you get into. So let's start on the first part there though, which is, You've been at this for, you know, in marketing for about seven years. How many companies along the way? All right. Yeah. I know. I, and I don't mind saying that I job hop at all. I, I average a little bit under two years at a job. And I think that's a huge part of why I've been so successful, which I can get into later. But I started out at Seagate Technology in college, actually working full time there in college. Then I went to an extremely small company called Nexmo and it was about 30 people and joined as the first marketing person there. Went to Dialpad, went to Aspire IQ and now I'm here at Brandfolder. So this will be my fifth job. Now the interesting thing, cause you and I chatted before we hit record here, most of those companies are, you know, doing pretty well, like either had a very successful exit or, you know, you look at these brands, even a company like Dialpad, I hear a lot, you know, probably en route to some sort of a successful exit along the way. So when you're in these great roles and you've got great titles, you know, leading product marketing, you know, director of marketing, why jump if things are going well in the company and everything seems right? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I think to some extent, that's as much a philosophical question as it is a professional question to me. For better or for worse, I'm very much the type of person who is not satisfied with how things are going or the status quo. And I think some would say I'm probably a little bit impatient. And so even though things were going well at each of those companies and you know, there, I think there was potentially room for growth at each of the companies I've been at, it wasn't really at the pace that I wanted. And I'm, you know, I think there's definitely an argument to be made that that's not the right move. But I always go back to this conversation I had with this awesome guy, Mickey, who led the rounded brand folder for our Series A. When I was interviewing with him, he asked kind of the same question. Like, it seems like you kind of job hop. Why is that? It obviously is implied with a little bit of a negative slant at times. And my response was basically, if I hadn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And so to me, I think there's so much opportunity and positive benefit that you get from moving between companies. And I've learned so much at each step of the way. And I think you hit a point where the marginal learning that you get from staying at a company past a couple of years is a lot less than whatever you would get by moving roles or companies. So let's suppose that we're just going to argue about this for fun, right? And yeah, uh, yeah I, I, in fact, I, I think you make some great points there. But now that you're in the VP role, now that you're in that leadership role, does that change in terms of your mindset? And you know, hopefully Mickey's not going to have to listen to this. But uh, <laughs> But it, does that change in terms of your mindset now that you've gone to the level that you're at? Or do you think the reality is for, you know, marketing leaders that, you know, seeing more stops along the way, even at that top leadership VP, CMO level is still important? That's part one. I have a, I have a follow-up, but I'm, I'm curious your thought on that part. Yeah, I do think there's a point that I've reached where I don't have a strong desire to, like, make a jump or look for the next thing. I think there's still a lot of development and growth I have in this role. And my previous job at Aspire IQ, I was the head of marketing there and I didn't have the VP title, but budget was pretty similar. Team size was about the same. We were doing similar growth, similar amount of ARR. So it was a very functionally similar company in a lot of ways and very functionally similar role. A big part of why I joined Brandfolder was to move out of the Bay Area. So... I'm not in any rush to move up. I think there's still so much room for opportunity for me to grow and learn. And Brandfolder is an awesome place. So definitely no plans to change that anytime soon. But I think the other part is I just like learning different industries. And one thing I've always been very conscious of is not getting too ingrained in one particular niche. And that's why... I've almost always made a very consistent effort not to fall into the trap of staying in an industry that I've had success in. Uh, okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I told you I had a follow-up question. I, I, it's still applicable here. So now that, now that you feel like you're in a good place, how will you take your, your opinions or your philosophies, as you put it earlier, and mentor your team that you're building out? And, you know, in the past, you know, 
you've been there about a year, so you maybe haven't even had to come up with some of the people who have that same job hopping, if we call it that mentality. But how do you go about getting some of your team to stick around? Or at the same time, how do you insulate yourself so that if you're going to embrace people job hopping as well, that you're not left in a bind in this leadership role? Yeah, you know, to me, it's all about transparency and being just an empathetic human being and like really truly wanting the best for the people on your team. And to the extent that I have it in my power, I will do everything that I can to make sure that people on my team are learning as much as possible. And I'm a huge fan of development in the professional sense. So I think there's a few different ways you can do that. And before I get into that, I think one thing I want to mention, a mentor of mine once when I was deciding whether or not to change jobs told me there's three reasons that people leave a job or people stay at a job. Either you're making outrageous money and it's just like impossible to give that up. You're having just an amazing time and you're having so much fun or you're just learning an absolute ton. And I think those are all really good levers to retaining the team and making sure that you have a really awesome environment for them to work in. And so I think at the basic level, there's things you can do like just sending them to you know, workshops or classes. Like I have a guy on my team who wants to learn digital marketing and he's, he doesn't have any background in it, but I was happy to send him to a general assembly course so that he could learn digital marketing and get a little bit more involved in that here. On the more creative side, one of the things that I'm trying to do is use my network and the amazing people that I've met in San Francisco to provide mentorship for people in functional roles that I'm not an expert in. So there's a guy, Adam, on my team. He's performing super well. Love the guy. Absolutely crushing it. But I'm not going to teach him anything about demand gen. He's already surpassed my knowledge of that. But I know some people who are really, really smart and can teach him some stuff and like he can bounce ideas off of. And I'm happy to make that introduction and provide some compensation for that mentor to help Adam out so that he still feels like he's learning stuff as well as giving him the opportunity to potentially manage other people. So I think one of the benefits of a high growth company like Brandfolder is that as the team grows and as revenue grows, there is good opportunity for everyone to continue expanding their scope of responsibility and potentially get management experience. So those are some of the things that I think about. That sounded like a pretty good pitch for that three open headcount that you've got in marketers <laughs> who, who are listening to this podcast. You know, this has been a really interesting take on, on job hopping. And uh, I, I know we said we'd get to a second part, but I'm thinking maybe we can weave part two, which is, you know, the focus that you've had on product marketing into segment two of this podcast. We're going to take a short break here on the marketer's journey, and then we will be right back to dig in with Jane. Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies. And we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand. 
All right, James. So we went deep on that job hopping thing and we didn't get to the real meat here, which is the buyer journey, right? I mean, your, your journey is definitely wild. It's, you know, lots of hops and no different than the experience that buyers have today where buyers, you know, engage in a ton of content. They have multiple stops along the way. And I'm sure you are a big advocate of the importance of content, given that you work at Brandfolder, but Given how much your career path has revolved around product marketing, how do you lead with product more, right? Like how do we inject our product into the buyer journey, perhaps earlier or more frequently so that we don't only have to have that thought leadership there? Yeah, I think it really, if you're doing product marketing well, infuses itself into almost every component of the buyer's journey or every step of the way. So a good example of that and something I'm really trying to work with my team on to get a little bit more tightly knit is what does a closed loop system look like where product marketing is providing insights for everything at top of the funnel? Like let's say we'll just use a digital ad as an example. So from the research that we've done, like from jobs to be done interviews or win-loss calls or persona-based interviews or case study calls, whatever it might be, whenever we're gathering this information about a customer, how are we incorporating that into the top of the funnel? So that's one example. And that reflects in the ad copy that we use, the creative that we use, everything along the way. Obviously, product marketing has a very tangible impact, especially at the bottom of the funnel. But In a category like DAM, there's so many crazy varieties of companies that we work with that coming up with messaging and positioning for those companies because they're in such a wide variety of industries and sizes and regions is a very difficult challenge. And when you're in a semi or when you're in a very competitive industry that is very difficult for people to understand like what is the differentiation between these different companies. I think that's when product marketing gets more important than ever. And so if you're looking at two products that on the surface seem to do the same thing, but one of them is talking about it in your language, understands the stakeholders that you're trying to please with this product and the problems that are very specific. So like, getting down to that industry-specific language or that persona-specific language, you're inherently going to have more trust with the company that seems to understand your pain points more. So that's, that's one example. And one of the things that I'm really excited about what we're building on the customer journey side is an experimentation and learning model where we have a bunch of different experiments running at any given segment of the customer journey. And so we'll test out a question that we have, like, does a given audience, like a creative or a marketer, do they respond better to language about this feature or a different feature? And then that feeds back into this learning center that we have, which is incorporated then into like the demos that we're doing, the demo environments that we build out, the customer nurturing, all sorts of things. So we try to really have it integrated throughout every touch point. Interesting. So your discovery is essentially trying to understand not just what their challenges are, but what do they need? And perhaps that works well, as you said, because you're you're in an industry which is pretty well defined, right? I mean, you know, digital asset management isn't this new thing for many companies. You know, perhaps it's more in your case, you have a new take on an industry that has a lot of history, a lot of archaic players, if you will. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, DAM is a fairly new category in the sense that like the cloud-based SaaS type model, I think is fairly new, but there's a ton of companies who have these crazy on-premise solutions that have been around forever. So it's a weird, it's a weird time, I think, in the industry where it is well-established, but people are starting to realize that the cloud is going to impact the way that they've done things in the past. So, you know, so far you've talked a lot about leading from a product perspective, you know, in terms of understanding the buyer, I would say, what are their concerns? You know, how do you answer them through your sales team, et cetera? I'm curious, uh, another topic that every once in a while, I'm, whenever I have a chance to talk to a marketing leader, I love their take because within product marketing, we often see the responsibility of analyst relations, especially in, in a now, in an area that is as hot as digital asset management, both in terms of, as we said, the, the more long-term players and the new incumbents like yourself, where do you stand on the importance of an analyst relation, uh, analyst relations? Yeah. You know, I've been in a variety of industries where the importance of analyst relations has been on one extreme, especially in dial pad and like unified communications where IT people are very used to going to analysts for advice. And if you're not on the magic quadrant or the wave or whatever, and you don't get that stamp of approval, you have no chance in an enterprise deal. I've also been in industries where the analysts haven't caught up to it yet. Influencer marketing being a good example. And so I think brand folder falls kind of in the middle of that. Our sweet spot is, you know, the analysts always have their own take on a given industry. And I think the tricky part with where we're at is a lot of the stuff that our customers care about is not necessarily aligned with the things that the analysts care about. So it's been kind of an interesting challenge for me because I typically do most of the analyst engagements to educate them on what we're hearing. And so a lot of times we'll hear the analysts say something like, this is how we see the space. And if you don't conform to this, you're not in a position that we would consider you, you know, whatever nomenclature they have for that given segment. But our customers are, are looking at those things and then saying, you know what, we don't actually align with how the analysts are talking about it. And so when I've talked to the analysts at Forrester and Gartner, they actually agree with this a lot of times. And they'll say, look, you know, we publish research for our customers and their customers are oftentimes not in the same industry or solving the same problems that we are. So I think it's important not to get overly focused on it. If you're getting signals from customers who are willing to pay you money and you're winning these extremely competitive deals against someone that the analysts say is the leader, I think it's important not to get carried away trying to build your product for this analyst who isn't actually your buyer. And I think that's a tricky place to be in, especially for a fast growth startup like us. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I've had some experience with that as well. I know another factor to keep an eye on, and you know, I, I know Brandfolder's got a fresh look on, on digital asset management, is sometimes the, the buyer that you're selling to today may be different than the buyer that's bought from that that solution in the past. So the analyst may be looking, if you will, at, at kind of the, the old persona that would have been in charge of this. And in many cases still reigns in a lot of larger organizations with a lot of history with the solution. But if you're seeing a changing of the guard, and I think that's something that marketers should always be, be cognizant of is, you know, are you trying to disrupt and go to a new champion 
or are you trying to win over the old champion? And depending on that, you may see a difference between what the analyst is going to prioritize in terms of, as you said, nomenclature criteria or whatnot versus, you know, where you're trying to position the future of, of ownership. Yeah, totally. I've seen that at a number of companies I've worked at. And one of the things that we talk a lot about in our core differentiation is being a dam for the masses. And the deals that we win, we have the best usability and stuff for our product. So it's really easy for people to jump in and find what they need. And that's not necessarily the most important component for any company out there. But we try to position ourselves in a way that aligns with the companies who care about people actually being able to use the technology as opposed to this expert who only thinks about this one software product day in, day out. And that's their entire focus. Like if you're selling to a head of creative operations at a company who has a million other things going on and doesn't want to be this expert in a tool, they're going to be buying a different product than someone whose title revolves around managing a dam. So I think you're spot on. Absolutely. Now, this, this has been really interesting. I mean, gained the perspective from a product marketing perspective combined with you know, the, the different, different industries you've gotten to already touch, you know, again, because of that job hopping. But uh, definitely, definitely interesting perspective, James. You know, what we'd love to do is, is keep you around for a few minutes here. We've talked a little bit about your career journey. We're going to hit into a little bit more about you right after a short break here. Stick around to hear more from James Winter. All right, James. So we now know about your wild career hopping. We know about you know leading from a product first mindset. With all of that hopping, do you actually accrue enough time to take vacation? <laughs> <laughs> I had I had to go there, even though it's like it's fully unfair given how transparent you've been today. But uh, no, kidding aside. I mean, it's it's hard to you know, to find time to take a break. And I'm wondering how you've managed to do that. And, you know, along the way, any, any cool trips you've taken? Yeah. You know, I would say I haven't been the best at this. I tend to get fairly single-minded when I have a goal or something I'm trying to accomplish. So I definitely wouldn't categorize myself as the expert on going on trips or taking as much vacation as I should. I best trip I've been on by far in a little while is going to Colombia. I went to Colombia with a few friends a couple of years ago and it was easily the best trip I've ever been on. The country is amazing. I found out about it because pretty much every single person I'd talked to who had been, whether they were 40 years old or 20 years old or anywhere above or below that, they all said amazing things about it. And they were all a very diverse group of people. So we decided to go and it was absolutely incredible. We got a lot of fun activities done. Like I tend to be a little bit more of an adrenaline junkie when I go on vacation. So we went ATVing through a jungle. I went paragliding above the valley that uh, Solo or were you tandem? No, tandem. Someday, (laughs) Someday that is on my list of hobbies to pick up. Rode some motorcycles, which unfortunately ended in a little bit of catastrophe, but that's a story for another time. Oh, wow. And what else did we do? Oh, the highlight was definitely playing paintball in Pablo Escobar's old lake house. And that was was a ton of fun. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, listen, it's, 
It's important to take breaks, as I always say, even even as busy as we get in, in marketing leadership roles, we got to have some fun. It gives us perspective. And, you know, as you said uh, earlier of, of those three things that are important to keep uh, retention, one of it is having fun. And, and I think that's that's finding time for yourself as much as your company. James, this has been great. You know, just maybe as a, a last call to action, people want to learn more about you, you know, things that you talk about, areas that you're focused on, where, where should they go to follow you? Best place to follow me is definitely on LinkedIn. I tend not to use Twitter all that much, although I'm trying to get better about it. But uh, I've got a bunch of content that I want to be publishing on LinkedIn sometime in the next few months. So I've already had a few people connect with me recently on LinkedIn who've heard me on other podcasts. And I love getting that. So please, if you're out there and you ever want to chat, I love talking about this stuff, whether you're brand new to the role or you've been in it for 20 years. So hit me up. Absolutely. As you said earlier, I mean, you're, you're connecting your team with your past uh, mentors and, and colleagues. So I'm, I, it sounds like you'd probably be open to doing the same. James, this has been great. I, I think everyone had a great opportunity just to get a different perspective. If you've been listening to our podcast, you'll know that you know James' perspective is different than, say, Maria's or Julie's, who we listened to earlier in the season. And uh, you know they had some longer tenures, but you know there's different paths. And, and I think that's the reality with any journey. I thank you so much for joining us, James, and for everyone else listening. Until next time, this has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.